0: Howdy folks and welcome to another exciting episode of the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. I am doing incredible this week. Uh, My birthday was yesterday, had a great time. I uh, worked and then came home, recorded a podcast. My amazing wife made me a double cheeseburger. And then we sat on the couch and watched a movie. And that is basically just my dream birthday, just relaxing, not doing anything. So I had a great time with that. Uh, I'm recording this here intro on Friday afternoon after work. Um, and we are headed straight into Memorial Day weekend. And then I actually I told my boss I screwed up a little bit. Uh, I, booked, I, I booked another crappie fishing trip. I'm going to take my dad, my brother, and my brother-in-law. Uh, And actually booked that for this coming Friday. And so I am off uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, this weekend. I go back to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'm off again Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so happy little accidents. You know, I'm not too worried about it. Luckily, I have an amazing boss. He was very understanding, uh, doesn't care. And so I basically get two long weekends back to back. So very excited about it. Uh, I don't know what we're doing this weekend. Um, well, actually, I I do, do know what we're going. Uh, my brother and his wife are coming down, and uh, we are going to see the new Top Gun movie. And so very excited about that. Uh, we're gonna go do that for my birthday, and then um, then yeah, I don't know what we're doing though. Uh, I would love to go to the lake, but I know everybody loves going to the lake Memorial Day weekend, and so uh, I don't know if it's worth it or not, so might do that, and then next weekend, like I said, we're going to go fishing again on Friday, and then right into that weekend, I'm doing some more deer season prep, so got to finish up a few things that I didn't get done a few weeks ago. Um, I need to anchor my stands. I need to build ladders into my stands that I set up. Uh, I need to move a few tree stands around. Uh, I think I'm going to spray some plots. I'm going to do some really late spring, you know, really summer food plots by now. Uh, something that I've, I've heard of quite a bit. I've never tried it myself. Um, I've never really done that many spring plots to begin with. Uh, but one thing that I want to try this year is I'm going to plant some soybeans kind of later. You know, it's going to be probably l- June 11th or so before I actually plant them. Uh, and basically just the hopes of that is that they're going to mature a little later and be better going into the fall hunting season. So, uh, yeah, I, I need to check on the seed prices and availability before I go, you know, spraying all my pots, but I think I'm going to try that in at least one, uh, you know, my big plot. Um, but yeah, that's about it. So that's what I got planned for the next couple weeks. Um, we got a great episode today. One that I've been excited about for a few weeks. Uh, we are going to be, or I recorded an episode with Les Stanstifer, and he's the crappie guide that my wife and I went with uh two two or three weeks ago now, and so my plan was you know we we did that trip, we have this other trip booked, and so I wanted to do this episode kind of in between so we could talk about you know what we did that time, what we're going to do differently differently this time, uh, and so yeah it was it was a great episode, uh, but how I kind of want to start it off is I want to just kind of tell you guys. Kind of the story of the day of, you know, when my wife and I went fishing. And so uh, I'm going to do that here in a little bit, and then we'll get straight into the interview after that. So that way you'll have a little bit more of an idea of what we're referring to. So that's the plan for this episode. Hope you guys are ready for it. We're going to, I guess, just dive right in. I'll I'll tell the story a little bit, and then we'll get into the interview. And that is this week's podcast. So hope you guys are ready for it. I'm going to jump into the story right after this. It's Memorial Day weekend and everybody wants to go to the lake. So much, in fact, that the lakes are always overcrowded and some might even say dangerous. If you're looking for some seclusion and a place to catch some fish, check out Private Water Fishing. With your membership, you'll have access to over a 100 private lakes. No rush, no crowded boat ramps, no pontoon boats pulling tubes next to your fishing spot. Just a nice, well-managed lake all to yourself. That's privatewaterfishing.com next time i head to the ranch i plan on setting up a new protein feeder in one of my new feeder pins and of course i'll put a trail camera on it which means it's time to start taking inventory and uploading those photos to deer lab deer lab is your solution to organizing all of those trail cam photos that are going to be pouring in for the next several months i can't even begin to guess at how many thousands of pictures i get every year and deer lab is the perfect place to store them Not to mention all the amazing data it helps you log and keep up with to help you pattern your next shooter buck. Check it out at DeerLab.com. If any of you have been keeping up with the cryptocurrency craziness, it is just another example of how risky investing can be. But there is one investment that virtually never lets you down, and that's land. As the old saying goes, they aren't making any more of it. And lately it has been going through the roof. So give the fine folks at Arrowhead Land Company a call, and invest in something that will last. That's Arrowhead Land Company, hardworking agents serving hardworking landowners. All right, so I'm gonna try real hard to give you guys the like seven to ten minute version of our fishing trip. So uh, I met Les and his son Keaton at the Backwoods Show, and they run SNS Guide Service. And to be completely honest, I just got super lucky. Um, you know, there was a bunch of people there. I just so happened to, you know, introduce myself to him. We talked a little bit. Um, I asked him if he, if he would be willing to come to Broken Bow, which is not his home lake. Uh, my wife and I already had a, a trip planned there, and he agreed to it. So, uh, But I also say I get lucky. I mean, one, less absolutely knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, him and his son are tournament fishermen. They do really, really well, but he's also just a great person. And, uh, my wife and I had a fantastic time with him. Uh, he loved my wife. Uh, you know, she's very bubbly, great personality and stuff. So they hit it off. That was really good. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't brag about less enough. Uh, and yeah, I would absolutely tell anyone to book a trip with him at SNS guide service. So, but anyway, so uh, like I said, my wife and I were uh, at Broken Bow for the weekend. Les came down. We met him at the boat ramp about 8 a.m., and uh, and we took off, and we got very lucky with the weather. Um, it was fairly cool. It was kind of was that cold front was coming in, uh, but the weather held for us. You know, it wasn't cloudy or rainy or anything like that. Uh, we got in his boat, and like, I, I've never been on a true bass boat, I guess, or just fishing boat. Those things fly. We were going, I think on the way out there, we were doing about 45, uh, and I didn't have like a real seat. My wife was in the real seat, and then Les obviously driving, and so I was having to like use my abs to keep myself up, and uh, man, it was a workout, but anyway, so we flew back uh, up north towards the, uh, I don't want to give too much information away, but you know, we went north, obviously. That's basically the only place you can go at Broken Bow, and uh, so we get to our first spot uh, let's start setting up the boat. Uh, again, I've never used live scope. I, you know, know what it is. I've seen it on YouTube videos and stuff like that, but never fished with it. So he gets the, the live scope cranking and, uh, he has, a, you know, two chairs up front and, uh, his boat is awesome. It's, I mean, it is rigged out for crappie fishing. He has two small trolling motors on the back that he uses brakes. Uh, and then obviously the main one on the front that he drives with. Um, and so he kind of walked us through the process, um and basically we fish one at a time so my wife let me go first so I get up there he hands me a 12 foot long rod a quick spinning rod and uh and uh and we start looking and so basically what happens is he you know uses the trolling motor to kind of get us going and then he just starts scanning he's scanning left to right with the live scope and, uh, it's, it, it is amazing how, uh, just how in tune he is with the technology. I mean, like, you know, he's like, all right, there's a black crappie. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know it's a black crappie? Like, it just looks like a blob. Uh, but he's just done it so much. He can kind of tell by, uh, you know, he can tell different species by the shapes. Um, with the crappie, I think he was kind of using like, whether it was alone or in a group and stuff to kind of sort out what species it is. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, we spot one we go to it and he's telling me to get ready and stuff he says drop i drop and uh you know i'm watching it on the screen and picture perfect like i, I lower the rod tip down of the crappie i mean you literally like see this fish kind of tilt up and then just wham and he attacked it uh nice hook set and everything reel it in i mean just picture perfect uh little did i know that it was going to get way way tougher <laughs> um, you know i think les was uh, a little disappointed with the fishing my wife and i had a great time i like i mean i think we caught a total of like 34 fish and so i would not consider that a slow day in any way shape or form uh but uh but yeah it did get a little tougher uh we were i mean we were finding the fish that was not the problem getting them to bite was a little bit of the problem Uh, but it was, it was so cool to watch less just kind of dissect the water, dissect the situation. Um, you know, he was switching lures, just switching from, you know, different colors and everything. Uh, man. And I will say like that live scope, it just, it kept it so interesting because it wasn't like you, you were wondering if the fish was there, you know, and that's why you weren't catching them. You saw the fish, like you knew they were there, and I mean, like a bunch of them. It's not like they were ignoring you. A bunch of them would come up and then just kind of turn away at the last second. Uh, several of them would follow, it. you know, like as the crappie came up. If it didn't bite it, uh, Les told us to kind of just you know slowly lift the rod tip, and you'd watch that fish. I mean, just it it looked like it was tied to the end of it. It just raised up with your bait. Um, yeah, it, it was incredible. But uh, we had a fantastic time. Uh, you know, that we we caught four or five at the first spot um i caught two or three switched with Mackenzie. she caught a couple super simple for her uh you know she hasn't done a ton of fishing but less was super patient uh absolutely fantastic with her uh so then we uh pulled up moved to a second spot uh i think we caught another fish pretty you know pretty quickly there uh but just weren't really getting into them and uh i think i might have mentioned this after the trip but uh I always thought that Broken Bow was actually kind of a crappie destination. Like, I thought it was kind of a big deal, like a lot of people went there. Uh, according to Les, that is not the case. It is more of a fact that it's a vacation spot, and, you know, people want to go fishing while they're there on vacation, which is, you know, exactly what we did. Um, but it is very tough fishing. Now, again, there are a ton of crappie up there. Uh, we caught some. We caught some some bigger, uh, you know, probably pound-and-a-half type crappie. We didn't get any, you know, two or three pounders, but some, some decent-sized crappie. Um, but what makes it so tough is the clear water, and if you are a crappie fishing out there, you're probably saying, duh, of course, uh, but I, I did not know that, and so, uh, so yeah, so basically, after that second spot wasn't really working out, you know, we caught a, a few more fish, but it just, they weren't turned on. Uh, Les was basically like, all right, it's time to find some dirtier water, so we picked up, moved around, uh, came to another spot, and that is where we really started catching them. You know, Les was kind of more in his environment. Uh, we were you know fishing a lot of dead falls you know old timber type areas we found i don't know probably three different logs uh you know trees that had fallen over that had i mean at least 30 fish a piece i mean they were just stacked and um you know we'd go to one we'd have several fish kind of come check out the bait not really you know uh, attack it and then you know we might catch one and then that was about it so we'd move on to the next one same thing same thing and so, you know, we're catching some some more fish, more fish, uh, but still, I wouldn't say it was just on, you know, like, it it definitely wasn't ev- every cast or anything like that. Like I said, we were kind of having to go from log to log, we'd catch one here, we'd move to the next one, we'd catch one or two there, move on to the next one. And of course, the entire time, I'm just pestering poor Les with questions, you know, I, I want to learn, I'm excited, I knew we were going to do this podcast, and so I also just wanted to kind of educate myself for that. Um, and so I, I, asked him, I was like, Hey, Les, you know, if we're in a tournament, if money's on the line, you know, what would you be doing differently? And, uh, he was like, I'd be casting to him. And we, we had kind of talked about that a little earlier. Um, and so I, I just asked him, I was like, well, do you mind if I try? And he said, no. And so we found another spot that once again was just absolutely loaded with crappie. And he, you know, set us up with the trolling motors running and everything. And so he's like, all right, you know, cast to the left side of that tree, uh, you know, so far. And so I casted out and it, it took me a couple of times to kind of understand what was going on. So when we were casting to them, you basically casted over the top of them and then you had to let the bait sink. And then you almost, it was almost like you were reeling up at kind of like a 45 degree angle. And so you would reel up and you'd, you, know, again, you can see the bait. You, 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 would almost reel it up through the middle of all of them. And then basically as you come out the other side of the group of crappie, Nine times out of well, not time, nine times, a lot of times, there would be one following it. You know, one would have caught onto it as it was coming through the structure, and then wham, and that's when they'd hit it. Kind of when you were coming out of the group, and so uh, probably like my third cast, uh, I caught one, and uh, so we, you know, he took it off for me. cast it again, wham, caught a second one. And that's kind of when we're like, all right, this is the spot. And so I caught two or three. Uh, I was like, you know, do you mind if McKenzie tries? And he said, no. And so he was kind of helping McKenzie out. You know, he kind of cast, hand the rod over to her. And uh, and uh, he he claims that McKenzie is the first woman to have ever caught a crappie off of his boat uh, casting like that. So that was pretty cool for her. And, uh, and man, that was like the type of fishing that you expect you know, on one of these trips, like on a guided trip. I mean, it, I wouldn't say it was quite every cast, but we wore them out. And I think we only did that like in two different spots. Uh, you know, it was kind of later in the day. It was already after lunch by the time we got to this spot and everything. Uh, but I mean, I think we caught, we caught at least another 10 fish at, probably in the last like 10 to 15 minutes of the trip. We, we caught quite a few off that first spot. I think we went to one other spot, if I remember right, and caught a bunch of fish there uh i caught uh, mckenzie caught a pretty good one back there and so you know i wasn't gonna let her out do me so i kept catching small ones for some reason he threw a couple of them back and uh finally i i caught one that was pretty good size and i was like all right we can be done after that i'm happy with that and so that was how our trip ended uh yeah i think we were on the water from about 8 a.m to 2 or two thirty, and then of course you know less cleaned our fish when we got back and everything. We ended up with about, I'm going to say eight meals, eight two-person meals uh, out of the, I think we cleaned 24 fish. Uh, You know, we threw, like I said, we caught about 34, but threw back several smaller ones, just kept kind of the bigger ones. And so that was our trip. Again, I I can't recommend it enough. And uh, now we're going to go into the actual interview with Les, and we're going to get into way more detail. And uh, again, guys, if you have ever been interested in crappie fishing or if you are a hardcore crappie fisherman i think you're going to learn something from this podcast so really really good one i can't thank less enough for coming on i'm excited for this one this is going to be one that i store away myself and listen to over and over again so i hope you guys are ready for it here's my interview with less stan hey everybody welcome to today's show and today we're talking to less stan how you doing less
1: good john how are you today
0: i'm doing just fine and today's kind of a an interesting episode because you and i have actually uh gone fishing together and now we're going to do a kind of a a wrap-up type you know what we caught and everything like that so i'm I'm really looking forward to this episode i think this is the first time i've actually done this so i'm pretty excited i'm really excited and i had an awesome trip with you so this is going to be fun you also got a uh, a rare, you know, I've, I've mentioned my wife on the podcast and kind of talked about her, but you actually got to meet and take my wife fishing, so how was that?
1: Uh, it was absolutely amazing.
0: I, <laughs> when I found out that she was
1: pregnant and uh, I got to take her, it uh, just makes it kind of a little more special just for the simple fact I got a, a whole generation of family on the boat, so it was mm-hmm. good.
0: Good, good. Yep. She had a blast. And I don't think I told you this, but uh, we got off the boat and went back to our little cabin we had rented. And she was like, now, how much does that live scope cost? <laughs> she was ready, man. I, I, I asked you to, to win her over and you definitely did we tried uh huh. oh we did a pretty good job so well before we get going uh you know too far i do want to give you a chance to introduce yourself so real quick before we really jump into this thing why don't you give us a quick little rundown of who you are and what you do
1: uh, my name is les stan steifer uh, i am part owner of sns guide service in southeast oklahoma uh, my son and i keaton we fish the crappie masters national trail um, all over the united states we also fish wally marshall classic the largest fishing tournament crappie fishing tournament in the world worth three hundred thousand dollars mm. uh have multiple um state awards and uh right now as as of now we are sitting sixth in the nation in crappie masters and 23rd overall uh for wally marshall's classic
0: awesome awesome all that and you still take people fishing what a great guy and, okay fishing. yep <laughs> yep well, I was fortunate enough, uh, you and I met at the Backwoods Show, and uh, I talked you into leaving your home waters and coming down to Broken Bow Lake and taking my wife and I fishing because we already had a trip planned down there. And uh, I must say, you you definitely delivered, so I really appreciate you coming down, and and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And so if it's all right with you, i got some questions here, and we're just going to go through them and knock some of these out. Absolutely, let's get to it. All right, so first thing I want to talk about is just kind of your setup. You know, your rod and reel setup, line, weight, hook, all that good stuff. So when you head out on the water, you know, what are you holding in your hand, and what do you got tied to the end of it?
1: Uh, usually, pre-trip uh, I go through, I have a 14-foot outlaw crappie pole. Um, it is. It has an outlaw reel on it. It's a 5-2-to-1 gear ratio. It's a spinning reel. Um, it is paired with k nine braid and 20 pound test um tied to the end of that i usually put on a ruben flores hand tied hair jig and uh just above that what i do is i slip a bobber stop up the line i put on an eighth ounce barrel weight put another rubber bobber stop below that and then tie the jig on gotcha gotcha
0: a little more seed to the fish Hmm. And I, I meant to. I told you we were going to do it, but I meant to bring this up uh, before. You know, some of these I kind of want to ask twice. You know, like what is your guiding setup, and then what is your tournament setup? So, um, you know, are those different? Like, if you go, if you're headed to a tournament, do you have a different rig in your hand, or is that kind of what you use for both of them? Um, that's usually what I use. Um, what I'm trying to do is teach people um,
1: on both aspects of tournament fishing and also on uh just the guiding the fun fishing portion of it um so i do set them up the same the only thing different that i do in tournament day is i will have a couple different rods set up um usually one with just a minnow rig um and then i'll have one with a small 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 profile plastic something like that that's just in case the fish decides to be a little finicky i can switch up on him pretty quick mm-hmm
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah, you mentioned several times when we were out there that, you know, if we need to, we can, we can downsize, but you, you kept mentioning that you didn't really want to do that. Uh, so why don't you explain that real quick? Like, why do you prefer the slightly larger bait? Um, I usually prefer the larger bait just for the simple fact. It doesn't take near the amount of time,
1: uh, to get to the fish. Mm. Crappie are extremely aggressive and the faster you can get to them, um, the more it causes a reaction strike. When you put a smaller profile jig on such as a 180th and you try to drop to a fish, it takes a little more time to get to him because the eighth-ounce barrel weight above, um, the 180th will float above that, and what it'll do is it'll twist around your main line as you're dropping to him, so you have to drop it a little bit slower uh, to the fish. Now, once it's there, you're good, Mm -hmm. but it's getting to that fish quickly, to make that reaction strike that that is the tough
0: part interesting interesting yeah I, I wasn't putting that together that makes sense i was wondering if you had a weight on it how it made that big of a difference but that makes sense if your bait's falling slower then yeah it has a chance to kind of wrap up and get tangled up it makes a lot of sense, right uh-huh. one the one eight barrel weight and the one um jig they fall at
1: the same speed so anytime you go with anything any lighter it it follows your barrel weight down, rather than your your falling first and your barrel weight following.
0: Mm-hmm. I was also very interested to find out that you're using 20 pound braid. Uh, talk about or explain why you use that also. Um, when we when we travel all over the country and in guiding,
1: it's kind of the same aspect as the same type of rigs we use as far as rods and reels. Um, I I want my clients to get the best experience that they can get. Um, I use braid because there's no stretch. Mm-hmm. Monofilament, fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon has a, has a little bit of stretch. Monofilament has a lot of stretch. So when a fish initially hits um, and you set the hook, there's some stretch to that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it'll cause you not to get quite the, the hook set that you need. Mm-hmm. And braid has no stretch at all. So it intensifies the bite so my clients feel the bite better,
0: and it uh, increases your hook sets. Gotcha. I, and that's probably especially true using those longer rods, too, huh? Yes,
1: it is. And when you get into uh, areas like Grenada, Mississippi, where you're fishing, um, for a fish that is prevalent to be three pounds plus, you do not want something that's going to break on you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. I like that. All right. So now we got what we're fishing with. I want to talk about kind of where we're fishing. So, uh, you know, we put the boat in the water and I know you'd kind of talked to some buddies and done some research and stuff, but, uh, what are you looking for? Like, how do you know where to head? Are you basing it on, you know, water depth? Are you basing it on structure, water temperature? Uh, what makes you head wherever you're going to head that day?
1: Well, John, it's a little bit of everything.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and I, when I'm breaking down a
1: lake, Uh, to tournament fish or to guide on. Um, If I haven't been on the lake, I'm going to go to the pattern that I use on my home lake. For example, right now, um, we're in between the transition of the spawn, post-spawn, into a summer pattern. Mm -hmm. So what those fish have done, they went up and they've done their business on the rocks or or up, up shallow in timber or wherever it may be and now they're going to transition to a post-spawn pattern and get ready for a summer pattern. So what they're going to do is they're going to pull back out in that 11 11 to 18 foot of water. Um, It's going to be near a deep channel, near their spawning flat. They're not going to travel a a whole lot of distance. So uh, right now I key on uh, main lake points because they were in creeks where you and I fished. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've seen we we started off in the creeks. Mm Mm-hmm. Um and we started pulling our way back out. But then towards uh midday we found them out on the main lake, um pinned up to structure.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: every lake I go to I'm looking for basically the same thing. I'm gonna start figuring out where the pattern is at home. I'm gonna look at the water temperature. If the water temperature is between fifty five and sixty five, I'm gonna look up there shallower, ten feet or less. If the water temperature is in the seventies out to um 75, 80 degrees, we're going to start pulling out there towards that deeper water because they're going to go down there and they're going to get in that thermal climb where there's the most oxygen at, and that's where the bait fishing things will be.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Man, I'm struggling with there I want to take notes now or just listen to this later and take notes then. I'm, I'm loving it. Bro. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it, I mean, this is kind of the same question over again, but let's say we, you know, we went out there in August, you know, heated the summer. How's that going to change where you go to? Are you looking for more open water? Uh, probably, I'm assuming fish are probably going to be up higher. Uh, talk about that, you know, like heat of the summer type stuff.
1: Heat of the summer, you're going to, you'll run into a thermocline. Mm-hmm. Um, a thermocline is two, to, two separate temperatures in your water. So uh, on live scope and even on your traditional sonar, you can see that the thermocline. Um, and what those fish do is they get just below that thermocline. Um, That's, like I stated a minute ago, that's where there's the most oxygen. Uh, When they come above that, the water temperature can change 10 or 15 degrees. Um, When I was diving, I found this out um, more as I would would get in that water, and I would start easing down to get my neutral buoyancy, and all of a sudden I would hit the thermocline, and it would go from 75, 76 degrees down to about 68. And uh, I found out that fish were staging up in that thermocline. And uh, most of your fish that you're in the heat of August, you're finding structure, um, looking for shade. They're trying to stay cool. They're no different than we are. When it gets super hot, they're looking. They've got to eat, but they're looking for someplace cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you had LiveScope on your boat. We were using LiveScope. It was my first time using it. Uh, I was very excited to see it. You know, I would seen YouTube videos and stuff where people were using it, but I never got to sit down myself and see it. So um, real quick, just in case there's any listeners who aren't familiar with it, why don't you give us a quick little rundown of basically just what LiveScope is?
1: A LiveScope is a real-time sonar.
0: Um
1: when just for example ice fishing um you have a vexilar uh vexilar is basically a graph that you can see the fish moving up shallow on it with just a a dial well the live scope um is a screen that is real time um it pings off of the fish the bottom and it shows a live image you can watch your bait drop in you can watch the fish roll up and nose it teaches you some things about the the habits of fish and what they do and how they react to certain things. Um, you can almost tell John, I know you could tell that you could look at a fish and you could almost visualize that fish will bite because of the way he was sitting in the column. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just basically a live sonar Mm -hmm. and, uh, everything is in real time.
0: Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. It was, uh, it was even more incredible than I imagined, honestly, just, The detail, and what really amazed me was just, you know, because you had so much experience with it, I mean, you could tell, not just like, hey, there's a fish, you could say, hey, like, that is a white crappie, hey, that's a black crappie, hey, uh, I think we saw one or two um, walleyes, you know, swim by and stuff, like, you were dialed into that thing, so... why don't you kind of explain, and again, this is almost the same question over again, but uh, just kind of explain our process. You know, as we were going through, like, I'd, I'd watch it, you, you'd kind of get the boat going, and then you'd start scanning with that thing. And then we'd see a fish, and you'd kind of lock onto it. Just kind of walk us through your process and how you actually use it to catch a fish. Okay.
1: On uh, my Garmin LiveScope, I run a twelve twenty-two, so it has a um, an analog knob that you can zoom out or zoom in. Um, My transducer is mounted to my trolling motor, and what I do is I would turn my analog button out to 45 or 50 feet and uh, start in a forward motion, and I would start sweeping left to right um, with my trolling motor head, Um, and what I was doing was looking 50 feet in every direction trying to find a signature um, that was a crappie. Um, when you, when you've spent thousands of hours behind the grass, you can, you can tell at 50 feet, sometimes even further, what's a crappie and what's not, they have a distinct signature. And as you get closer to that fish, you start out there at 50 and every time you click that knob at the 10 foot increment coming in. So as you guys seen that I would get him at 50 feet and he would move in um, to 40 and I would make one click and pull it in. 30 and then when i got him to 20 um i would start slowing down creeping up on him get get you set up have you
0: drop and uh try to keep him at that eight or ten foot range in front of the boat to keep from spooking him Mm -hmm. and now while we were watching the screen you know i kind of got it i got to learn and stuff it was really cool but uh explain how you're you know how you're approaching that fish with the bait you know you're dropping down uh, you want to stay above it. Just kind of walk us through that process. Once you get within that 20 feet mark, um, I run a set of trolling motors on the back to slow
1: my boat down, so I never have to take the trolling motor head or the, the live scope transducer off the fish. I don't want to do anything to lose the fish. So once we get uh, approached that fish and he's within that 10-foot mark, um, I had you just drop in front of the trolling motor head. Uh, you actually – you. Visually see your jig dropping into the column. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the key things is staying above a crappie. A crappie will, they will bite down, but it is not likely. If you pass, um, there's something about that bait that doesn't look natural to him. One of two things will happen. He won't bite it at all, or he'll hit the sinker that you have above it. Um, So it's best to stay above the crappie. You'll notice a crappie's eyes are much more towards the top part of his head. So he's constantly feeding up. And I know, John, you had seen this on the scope where your the crappie would come into the screen, his tail would be down, his nose would be up, and he mm-hmm. was in a feeding frenzy at that point, and just about anything you put in front of him, um, they'll hit. So once I put you into that eight to ten foot mark and get you set up over the top of them, um, there's not really a whole lot of movement that you have to do. They're stalking that bait at that point, and all you got to do is just wait on the reaction. Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: And we, I wouldn't say we struggled at first, uh, but it was kind of funny. You, I, I could feel you getting maybe a little frustrated and wondering why aren't these things biting. Mackens and I were loving it. You know, we were still catching some fish, but we did have quite a few turn away from us. Um, and I'm sure part of that was the clear water. But uh, what was going through your mind at that point? I mean, what were you saying? Like, we got, you know, you mentioned like we got to find the color, we got to find the approach. Um, what was kind of your process of working through that to get those fish to bite? There's a thousand things that run through your head as a guide. Um, you're wanting the experience
1: of your clients to be the best they've ever had. Um, you feel in your mind that there's an expectation, uh, by most, I didn't necessarily feel that way with y'all so I could eliminate that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so as, as I went into this pocket that, that I, I had asked a gentleman about, I went into this pocket and as I got to the back of it, I could tell that the reaction of the fish w- weren't what I was looking for. You can tell how they how they would approach a bait, um, that they were being finicky. And I felt like that was probably because of the clear water. And the last thing I wanted to do is, is have my clients casting the fish. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I'm going, okay, I've got to figure out a way to get these guys on fish without using a casting approach, if I can keep from it. So then I, and I know you heard me say this, I thought I've got to figure out a color. Is it a mm-hmm. color pattern? Is it a presentation? Is the water too clear? Is it the temperature? As we got further back in the pocket, that water turned into 80 degrees nearly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know you heard me say, we have got to get out of this and find some dirtier water because dirtier water is going to stay cooler longer and the fish will stage up better. So when we pulled away from what, someone had told me that they were fishing history and I started doing my own thing I went to the pattern I had back home which is let's find dirtier water let's look on structure and let's get in 11 to 18 foot of water and as soon as we done that the entire bite changed we caught a few fish there pretty quick and then it switched again and crappie are like they're kind of like a light switch they can be turned on for a minute then they can flip right back off they have a power hour of this fishing that that they'll be really aggressive and then they start getting finicky so that's when we did the dreaded switch to casting (laughs) but you know what it was awesome because Mackenzie she done excellent you done excellent and it worked out good where everybody caught fish casting to them which it was a teaching point for me it taught me that I can um, show my clients how to cast to the fish on live scope because there's only a 20 degree cone
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it gives you a little more confidence when you do something
0: and you figure out you can do it. It gives you that much more confidence for the next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember asking you that I was going to kind of bring this up anyway. You know, I remember asking you at one point when we were still doing the, the dropping, you know, if you were in a tournament setting, like let's say McKenzie and I weren't here, it was you and your son and y'all had money on the line would you be casting this fish? And you said absolutely. And so, absolutely. Um, talk about what kind of led you to that. I mean, we cut, covered it a little bit, but again, let's let's pretend we weren't there. As you and your son, you know, you had fish approaching the bait and turning away. At what point do you say, okay, we got to make the switch?
1: Uh, first of all, you 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 looking at your water clarity. Um, I was telling you when we seen those fish, I said those are black crappie when we tried to drop on them they would shoot out from behind the tree nose the bait and roll back Mm -hmm. they almost have the same reaction as the sand bass but they're shaped different in the water and now in a in a tournament setting we would have pulled up on a couple trees that had several fish on it we would have tried pitching to them if they would react and bite we would stick with that but as soon as they stopped keaton and i would it would switch over to a 6.8 outlaw um like a 24 ton graphite like you used mm-hmm. and we'd start pitching a, a slow fall and 16 ounce jig um slow that presentation down give those fish time to react react off those trees and come out and get it and once you figure that pattern out um then it's it lights out mm-hmm. um you just stick with that pattern and do what you do and, and from that point you uh just keep working until they stop and you've got to constantly be mindful if something
0: changes anything post front rain comes in cold air anything can change them let's say that you you decide you got to make that call and and, and we're talking the same conditions it's clear water they're being a little finicky um what's your approach look like then? You know, how close you're know, still using your live scope. How close are you getting to those fish? How far do you feel like you need to cast in order to make that work?
1: We'll start out. We would start out by pushing in there to that 30 foot mark. Um, the live scope has a 20 degree cone. Um, so that's a pretty narrow window to cast to. Uh, once you, once you get your fish located at 30 feet, start casting to them. If, If you pull up at 30 feet and you see fish leaving a tree, you're too close. Mm. Um, You need to back up a little bit. We we can cast up to 40 feet. We don't necessarily like to, but we can can be effective at 40 feet. But most of the time, if you're within 30 feet, you have have to think about trolling motor noise, boat slap, um, any type of reaction at all um, that them fish are reacting to, such as noise, you have to try to eliminate that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and if you, that means getting off three at 40 feet, that's what you do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned noise. You mentioned shadows. Um, yeah, I mean, you, so, yeah, you were definitely, you know, you would position the boat in such a way that everything was perfect, basically. You know, we'd roll up to some logs, you'd see the fish, and before you say cast, you'd swing out to the side and, you know, maybe come at them from a different angle. Um, so, yeah, your, your approach was definitely a high concern, I guess you could say
1: absolutely when you when you've done it enough to to read the reaction of them and know that anything that's not natural to them that's why it's important. I see people constantly jigging their poles up and down and I tell them I said hold still mm-hmm. dead stick them That's not natural to a fish to see that bait moving up and down in the column um, I know you probably seen it on the graph where there'd be a shad above a fish and that fish would just sit underneath him, and that shad wouldn't move. He would just sit there, and then that fish would dart up and knock him, out of the, knock him out of the column and eat him. And that's the same approach we have to use with our baits. Get above them, ease down on them, stop it, just dead stick it, because he goes into attack mode at that point.
0: Yep. I also love that you quickly figured out that I was much more of a deer hunter than a fisherman, and you started relating everything to deer hunting, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> it made me understand things a lot better. That works. I do that a lot with folks, especially uh-huh. if they deer hunt. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Uh so I I want to talk about Live Scope a little more and uh, my first question is, you know, obviously you were fishing, you know, before Live Scope, crappie fishing and catching crappie and being successful. Um and obviously, you know, Live or sorry, Live Scope completely changed the game. You get to watch the fish And my first question is just, you know, what has it taught you about crappie in general? Like, how has it kind of changed your thinking about how a crappie lives, how they react, how you catch them? Just what have you learned from the system?
1: Uh, Just from having live scope the last three years, um, I would push. I would put two rods in my hand, drop my chicks to the bottom, pick up. And as I would push forward, I, done a, I would just give the tips of the rod slow twitches. Um, the same type of patterning um, that I used for live scope, I used when I wasn't. Um, I started thinking about, are they going to be up shallow in the spawn? Are they going to be pre-spawn, post-spawn, summer pattern? Whatever the water temperature and, and the circumstances was, I could locate the fish, but then getting them to react would be completely different
2: mm-hmm.
1: us uh, with live scope. It's taught me those fish were where I thought they were to begin with, but it keeps me from fishing dead water mm-hmm. where I would fish two or three hours in an area of two or 300 yards long and waste time trying to find fish. Or I'd find a structure and try to catch fish off of it. And there wouldn't be anything there. Live scope has taught me, okay, they're not here within 30 or 45 minutes. We need to pick up and move out. They're not going to be far. Like I told you, they're kind of like big deer. The The bachelor bucks run in a group, um, like small fish. They run in groups. But that big buck always hangs off just a little ways, kind of watching what's going on in the background. And big fish are the exact same way. They may not be in the structure, but they're going to be close relating to that, whether it be a, a steep channel drop off, whether it be a piece of structure in deep water or a channel ledge waiting for bait fish, things like that. So it's taught me the habits and the reaction of a fish, what they do want and what they don't want, uh, probably more than anything. And uh, its I'll be honest with you, I feel like it's made me a better fisherman, and it allows me to help people be better fishermen.
0: Mm-hmm. i mean it definitely taught me a lot you know i've been trying to kind of get into crappie fishing for the best last probably year and a half and uh yeah i've watched youtube videos and and gone out and tried it myself and i can tell you i learned more in that six hours or whatever it was with you than i did in the previous year and a half it it was just amazing and so i can only imagine for a guy like you who already had a pretty big you know base knowledge to begin with i can only imagine what it taught you so uh, my next question is kind of the opposite of that. So, you've been using Livescope for several years, use it guiding, use it on the tournaments. Let's say the uh, you know whoever runs the tournaments comes out tomorrow and they say, hey, you know what, this Livescope, it's making it too easy. We're banning Livescope. How would you take what you've learned from it to fish without using it? You know, like, do you think it's changed how you fish enough to where? Uh, you would do things differently than you used to, or would you just go straight back to your old ways? I
1: would go, I would, it would change it a little bit in the aspect of, uh, the movement that I do with my baits and things like that. But what I would do is go back to old school. Um, there's a saying in the tournament world who the person that's going to win it is the one that dips the most trees.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, that, that isn't always necessarily true in every lake we go to, but most lakes that we do go to have a lot of structure of some sort. So with that being said, um, if you can see the timber or if you can see it on a 2D sonar, you can dip it. And uh, it has definitely taught me uh, that just it's, it's the old rule of KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Just go out there, put your head down, and uh and fish like you know you can, it's about confidence, and I was confident before Livescope, but live scope has made me so much more confident about uh my ability behind it, and I know Keaton feels that way too-
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and one thing I think I mentioned it to you pretty pretty quick after we started was you know you if you're just looking you know visually across the lake, you see you know a tree here, a tree there, a tree there. Um, but there was so much structure between those trees, you know, under the water that you can't see with your eyes that we were still catching fish on and seeing fish on and catching fish on. Um, and so just, I mean, electronics in general, I think are huge. You know, even if you don't have live scope, uh, you know, use your regular fish finder to locate that structure. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Absolutely. Awesome. So... Um so we went I think it was May 13th I think when we went mid May uh so kind of that late spring early summer time and uh we have another trip booked with you we're going to keep the lake a secret for this podcast cuz we haven't gone yet but uh my me and my dad and brother and brother-in-law are going to go with you and your son again here uh and I think two weeks not this Friday or I actually one week um so it's going to be that early June so we're kind of leaving springtime behind coming into summer what are we going to do different on this upcoming trip that we did the last trip? Uh, The upcoming trip is going to be the water temperature. That lake
1: is extremely dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, What's going to change a little bit is those fish are going to be extremely aggressive. You're looking at white crappie and not black crappie. Um, White crappie that time of year, you're looking at probably 76 degree water, 75. um, And, uh, we're going to start hitting a lot of timber. Uh, they're going to be post up on the shaded side, ambushing bait fish, things like that. Um, but with the muddy water, you'll absolutely have to stick it on their head. Hmm. Now that's where the dipping trees would come in. So what we'll do is we'll break down off of main lake points. We're going to find timber near channels and, uh, we're going to start searching it that way. And, um, We'll start out in the channel, and if they're not in the channel on timber, we'll start pulling up into those those little uh, post or pre-spawning flats mm-hmm. and uh, see if they're on the timber there, and we'll just work our way around from there.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. What about depth? I, I, if I, wanna, I if I remember right, I think last time we were catching them, most of them in like 12 to 14 feet, like the fish itself. Um, right. Are they going to be shallower or deeper? What do you think about that?
1: It's not a super deep lake to begin with, so mm-hmm. you're probably going to be looking at that twelve to twenty. Gotcha. And that's a that's just a that's just a rule of thumb, mm-hmm. um, because of the 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 column where the water's got more oxygen in it. Once you find that area, just about any area you go to with that same water temperature and depth, you'll find fish.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Can't wait. Um, one other question I kind of asked you, I asked you a version of this question while we were out there on the water is towards the end. And we found a huge kind of lay down tree that was in there and it was just loaded with fish. I mean, just all over the place. And, uh, and I think I asked you at the time, you know, if we came back in two months, would there still be fish on this tree? And you kind of said, yeah, but maybe a different depth. But my question this time is, let's say you take that same tree and all conditions, you know, considered equal, you know, pressures, let's say no human pressure or anything like that. Could you go to that same tree in February or May or August or November and find fish on that tree? Or are they going to kind of move around? They'll, they'll move a little bit. You may find
1: some fish. Um, what that's going to really depend on, John, is going to be where the depth of that tree begins, if that tree's out of the water at the top, and if that tree runs all the way to the bottom so you got from zero to 30 feet. There's a, there's a tree that's from zero above water all the way to 30 feet at an angle, like that one was in particular. And uh, what that does is that gives that fish a a staging area without moving a whole lot Mm -hmm. he can come up shallow when it's cold and and eat or he can shift down into that deeper deeper water to to cool off so um if it's near a channel and a spawning flat there's a good possibility they could just move up towards a spawning flat or they could move out towards that channel but there will be a good possibility that there will be fish on it just maybe not as many as you and i have seen Mm
0: -hmm. gotcha gotcha all right this is maybe my last question who knows uh, but just kind of in general, you know, break it down as much as you want to, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall, uh, what depth, what depth do you tend to find crappie in? I know that's kind of a general question and, uh, there's always more to it, but, uh, as a whole, do you, do you kind of have a, a depth you're looking for in those different times of year? Most of the time we do. Um, Keenan and I will start looking and say,
1: Let's talk about December to start off, because I know that's that's not the first of the year, but that's a cold, cold month. So mm-hmm. in December, um, we start looking into that 18. to water temperature doesn't affect them as much. They get real lethargic. They, they go into a, a feeding mode. You literally have to put it on their head to get them to bite. Um, when it gets towards the end of February, they're gorged with shad at this point to sustain themselves through the, the winter months and to get ready for the spawn. They're going to start pulling up on channels. On those warm days, they'll slide up in the channel near the flat. They'll eat, and then if it when the temperature drops at night, they drive right back out. Um, when March hits and the water temperature starts rising, then they're going to pull up onto those flats. From that point, uh, March, April, and here we are in the middle of May, they've moved in, they've laid their eggs, and they begin to shift back out into that, 11 to 18 foot of water again, um, and just staging up for the summer pattern to stay cool. Once the summer hits, you're going to find them on bridge pylons on the shaded side. You're going to find them on the shaded side of bridges, um, shaded side of docks. Um, they're they're there staying cool, and they're there to ambush their, their prey. So that's basically uh, how we do it, and then it's just a vicious cycle right back over into september october november
0: gotcha gotcha awesome that was a great breakdown i appreciate that um man i'm trying to think if i have any more questions for you is there anything that i've missed you know is there a point that you were hoping to drive home to people that we didn't cover
1: not really to be completely honest with you um, you've hit okay. just about anything that, that I could think of that I'd been interviewed about before. So that's, that's actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> good, good. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to give you a chance to, to shout out your, your business and your show, social media and everything. So why don't you just kind of run down the list? Uh, you know, if people are looking for you, where can they find you?
1: Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook at SNS guide service. Uh, like I said, my name is Les Stansteifer. I am the a part owner with my son Keaton uh SNS Guide Service. You can find me on um TikTok at Team Stan Steifer. We do a lot of live fishing there as well. Um, like I said, Facebook, SNS Guide Service, Instagram. Um, you can just look up my name, Les Stan Stipher. Um, you can uh I don't have anything on a website as of yet, but uh Those three, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, has been our our main three platforms for for our guide service.
0: Awesome, awesome. And uh, your main uh, lake that you guide is Eufaula, correct? Yes, sir. Guide on Eufaula Lake, surrounding lakes
1: in Oklahoma, but Eufaula is my home lake. That is uh, rated one of the top ten lakes in the nation for crappie. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, sometime I'm going to have to get up there and fish with you. Another thing Mackenzie said is that she now wants to go fishing on all of our vacations. And so uh, thank you, Les. Uh, That's a huge thank you to you because you started that. And so I get to do more fishing now. So, Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that is awesome. I enjoyed the time that I had with y'all and, and uh,
1: I hope we can do it again.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I'm looking forward to our next trip, and, uh, Les, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been extremely educational, so thank you very much, and uh, I can't wait till we meet again.
1: Thank you, John. I
0: appreciate you. Yes, sir. And there we have it, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, like I said during the thing, I, I was really struggling with whether or not I could keep up and type notes while I was listening or if I just need to go back and listen to it afterwards. So did a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved that one. Uh, I've talked about it on here a lot. Crappie fishing is something that I've really been wanting to get into uh man i just the learning curve is steep Uh, maybe it's just me but uh, i have really struggled to catch crappie on my own and so going on this trip this guided trip with him i mean i can't even tell you how much i learned it it helped me out so much so very excited for future crappie fishing endeavors uh very excited to to hang out with les and his son uh this coming friday when i take my family out and uh yeah that's about it. that's about all I have to say about crappie fishing for now. It's awesome. Get into it. And uh, go check out SNS Guide Service. So thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. I know it was a little bit of a random weird jumble with me telling a story and then going into it. But I hope you enjoyed it because I really enjoyed doing it. And I would love to get to go hunting and fishing with more people that I have on the podcast. So thank you guys for listening. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Be safe out there. And until next week, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.